Hello, everybody, and welcome to HRM. I am your host, Crystal, and this is where we energize, empower, and educate nurses, healthcare professionals, and professionals alike to utilize evidence-informed practices through technology, but most importantly, bridging the gap between research and real-world application. Today's episode is going to be one of the best episodes yet because I have two amazing, very powerful women here uh, to talk about understanding the lived experiences of graduate studies from the outside in. Now, who's no better to talk about it than two uh, experts from the Banray Center at Queen's University. And the Banray Center is an exclusive community where we have, they're serving the undergraduate, graduate, international, uh, immigrant, and professional women. They're open, no open door policy, no appointments needed, but let me tell you how they lure you in, the soup. They have soup every day and it is yummy. And believe me, it changes lives. With that being said, let me introduce my guest to you. We have Dr. Billier, and not only is she the director of the Bannery Center, but she's an entrepreneur. She's a glass artist, which I just love. I love art. And she was the director of the Loving Spoonful, which was a, which is a nonprofit organization. And as a mature student, she decided to go back to Queens, get her PhD in kinesiology, studying the food insecurity. And it was in this journey, she learned about what? Do you want to take a guess, my my, my listeners? The soup. And that's how they lured her in. And she hasn't left since. Just saying. And then we have Miss Lisa Webb, who is near and dear to my heart. Uh, She's been on the graduate journey with me. She has earned her undergrad in social work, uh, earned her master's as a mature student as well in policy studies. And all of us are just a little bit jealous because she lives on a very beautiful island called Wolf Island where she has a farm. And on this farm, she has some chickens and some sheep. Let's not forget about the dog and the cat. And I won't forget about our loving partner who's equally as amazing. So hello. And, uh, but She's at the Bannery because she is just passionate for humans. She has the gift of listening and communication and she's able to help. She's a problem solver. You tell her your problem and like magic, she fixes it most of the time. So without further ado, I would love to welcome Susan and Lisa. So thank you for coming to the show. I so appreciate it. How are you doing first and foremost? What has back to school been like for both of you? Well, it's uh, it's a moment by moment sort of experience so far. <laughs> um, I think everyone's just kind of in that wait and see mode and doing the best they can to, uh, you know, to fulfill expectations and uh, get things done. Absolutely. How about for you, Susan? I am just pumped to be back here in the house after a year and a half of trying to run what is basically a community center without a community or a center. It's been not an easy thing to do online. I think we did an amazing job, but I am just so thrilled to be back in the house. It's full of students. Uh, That's what makes me happy. It's my thing. Absolutely. I want to say you all at the community, uh, the boundary community have done a phenomenal job um, navigating this pandemic on a pivot. 
uh, with regards to the different uh, sessions that you've offered. So I know it didn't really feel like a community, but I will say it did in some sense. Like I love the yoga sessions and some of the talks that we had and the, you know, reconciliation circles, uh, the creativity that went into just doing some of these activities. Uh, it was awesome. So all wasn't lost. It's nothing like the human connection though. Let's, let's be honest, right? Like being in a room with people, you know, feeding off the energy, there's nothing like it, but you guys still did a rock star job. So don't downplay it. Just saying. Nice. Thank you, Crystal. You're welcome. So as you know, graduate students and for the listeners out there that are considering to do graduate studies, um, you know, I would love for you to share your wisdom, you know, you being a, 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 you know, a point of support, uh, a point of access where they can help navigate the university. And even though we're here at Queens, you know, I know other universities have similar support systems. So knowledge is knowledge. And let's, you know, let's share that knowledge. Now, what would you say to a student that wants to optimize their learning experience or considering graduate studies? Do you want to go first, Susan? <laughs> no, Lisa, I think you're the front facing, the student facing staff. Okay. You <laughs> okay. Um, I, I think that, uh, so I, I, from my experience here and from all the students that have shared their experiences with me, um, the relationship between a student and, and her supervisor is probably one of the most important variables and can be a tricky variable. Um, so in terms of optimizing a learning experience as a graduate student, I think it's really important to kind of set the tone in your relationship with your supervisor, set the parameters, discuss expectations, timelines, figure out your communication styles, your, your preferences and how you're going to get in touch with each other. Um, be open and respectful, be open and respectful. <laughs> um, and to really, as a student, do your part to make the relationship what you want it to be. Do not leave that to chance, okay? Um, it's like any other relationship. It requires nurturing and care and thoughtfulness. Um, and that can go a long way in optimizing your learning experience. Um, the two other points that I thought of in response to this question is, is use as many of the academic and personal resources available to you as a student. This will really maximize your chances of success. Um, and thirdly, um, steer things when you can. Take initiative. Even if it goes unsaid, it will be expected of you, yes. um, as a, especially as a PhD student. Um, one of our uh, PhD students said she expected her supervisor to be kind of like a mom. And I, I think that's probably not a good thing to expect. <laughs> you, may, you may be lucky to have a supervisor who turns out to be very nurturing and caring and, and is there for you maybe more than, than the average, uh, which is ideal, which is wonderful. But I think that's a lot to expect from a relationship and probably not, not very reasonable expectations. So those are the three points that, that were kind of top of the list for me. Makes sense. And I, for the mom piece, I think, I think that crosses the border of professionalism. Like this is yeah. a professional environment. You're here, you know, in exchange to get a degree, uh, not to be parented. Food for thought. Correct. Yes. I'm just going to add a couple of things to that because everything Lisa says is true. but. The whole thing about um, relationships is so important. And I think one thing that really makes can make grad school much more successful is to find your people 
And Mm. that may not be your supervisor and it may not even be your cohort in your department or in your faculty, depending on your life experience and your interests. It could be another kind of club or organization or group of activists or a group of or it could be a spiritual community. It could be, um, you know, cross disciplinary. My own Ph.D. was in a very interdisciplinary field and. Um, a lot of my people were in, turned out in other departments and, and even in other schools. And so trying to find affiliations, trying to find, you know, your, your people who you could talk about your work with, but then also just like friends or people you can eat soup with, or, you know, we sort of sometimes forget the people part of the PhD, you know? So that part is really important. Absolutely. I totally echo what you're saying. It's find your people, finding your community. I find that if you don't have a community, uh, the graduate journey is uh, painful for a lack of a better term. And, uh, and the, the depth and breadth of a graduate experience is really just expanding your horizon and expanding your mind but if you're in this silo and your point of contact is just a supervisor, it really just makes out, unfortunately, to be a miserable experience. Unless you won the lottery and you get the mom supervisor. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> um, that, that's wonderful. But, you know, you do actually need if you think about your graduate work as the first step on a professional journey. It's also when you first start to make like research connections and like you meet the people who you might collaborate with down the road or who you may be, you know, at a conference with, or, you know, so great to have a mom. We all need as many moms as we can get actually, I think. <laughs> but um, you also need lots of sisters and brothers and just people around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really does make for an experience, especially if you have someone that understands the journey. Uh, uh, I will t- promote that the mentorship program, uh, that you are working on or have started officially, unofficially, uh, has really been, I say, a game changer. And uh, it has really uh, opened up opportunities um, and provide sounding boards uh, from the mentor to the mentee and making them understand the best way to navigate the experience to get the best learning um, that you can. Uh, as a graduate student. So I think that part is also very important. It's not only the friends and and the family and however you want to have that community, but I think mentorship is equally as important because there's a lot of things that is expected of you as a graduate student. It's not written in a book, but you're expected to do it and you're expected to know. And if you don't have mentorship, then how do you know how to navigate the, 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 the expectations of being a graduate student? All right. So, uh, so my next question to you is, and I, I've, we've, at least we've had this question, uh, conversation many times over is what are some common barriers or challenges that graduate graduate students face? Yeah, we've seen a few over the years. Um, I, I think that one of the most uh, destructive <laughs> um, barriers <laughs> or challenges to students and student success and student well-being um, is really comparing yourself to others. Uh, And and it's so easy for all of us to do, not just students, obviously. Um, Everyone has their own timelines, their own styles of working, uh, and comparing is just not helpful. In fact, it can be really debilitating, uh, as tempting as it is to do. Um, so that that would be, I think, my number one uh, challenge and barrier in terms of the frequency of it 
and the cost. <laughs> um, I would say finances for a lot of students are um, are, are, are is, a, is a pretty big challenge, um, especially if it's a student that goes over the four years, for example, and the, you know the fifth year and beyond, there often isn't any funding available or very little. Um, so I think it's really important to devise a plan and, and apply for things early and do your research to see and, and uh, reach out to people to find out what you might be eligible for or, you know, have a, have a plan ahead of time anyway. Um, and um, I think work-life balance uh, for a lot of students who are parents, for example, which is a, a big portion of the population that we deal with. Um, can be a big challenge and a barrier even to starting graduate graduate work. A lot of students wonder if they can actually do both at the same time. And my experience has certainly shown that that a lot of students, the majority of students, can do it. Um, it just takes a lot of attention and a lot of um, a lot of management. Um, so that's that's definitely another another issue. And, uh, you know, there, there can be a lot of guilt associated with going back to school when you're a parent and lots of things that, as Susan said, it's good to have, uh, you know, a support network, people that you can talk with about these kinds of issues um, to try to either problem solve or just to get that emotional stuff out so that you can go back to work. Absolutely. That is, I think that's some very solid uh, advice. And I, I have a question to follow up, but Susan, I'd love to hear your input. What are some of those barriers that you come across that? Well, Lisa and I see the same barriers, but one thing that I really notice um, for myself and for many students is um, related to what Lisa was saying, imposter syndrome, where you just don't feel like you're actually entitled to or like legitimately in the position that you're in as a graduate student and that you spend all your time trying to convince people including most of all yourself that you deserve to be a graduate student that the work you're doing is worthy uh, it's particularly an issue for I think for women and for maybe for non-binary students for people who don't traditionally um just accept that they're entitled to be where they are doing what they're doing. So it's not an easy thing to overcome, but um, well, again, a community of peers can, can provide a lot of the reassurance and a lot of the uh, just the cheerleading that you need um, to believe in yourself and believe that you can do it. I think one of those particular um, tensions for graduate students is balancing the you become a professional like you're often a teaching assistant or a research assistant or a teaching fellow so you're in a professionalized work environment at the same time that you're a student and this is not always an easy balance um, financially or time-wise but also just switching back and forth from being the authority in a classroom or the authority in a lab situation to being uh, you know, a student who's just trying to take in all the stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think that can be a big tension. And then the other thing that occurred to me when I thought about that question is that we often think as graduate students, especially at the PhD level, wow, this is the culmination of my academic journey and I've got to do the best work and I've got to do something that's just going to change knowledge in my discipline. Yes, and it's, yes. it's going to be, you know, it's going to be... Yes field changing yeah. and 
one thing that was really helpful for me was to be reminded that it's not only the end of your academic journey. It's the beginning of your professional journey. It's the first time you're writing something that is like a book or the equivalent of a book. It's the first time that you're doing independent research that is meant to be professionalized. You're actually at the beginning of something. So what you do is just going to be a tiny little brick in the wall of knowledge. You're, you're not changing the world with your PhD, but you may be embarking on a journey where that happens as you build your professional self. So just sort of reframing what it is to be a graduate student, rather than just thinking of it as the top of being a student, it's also the entry level of being a professional. So I I, found that really helpful. I love that. I I think you just hit a nail on the head and I think that needs to be put on a t-shirt. You're maybe at the top of the education journey, but you're at the beginning of your professional journey. Yeah, And then, you know, climbing that wall, but, You know, I find that to be a struggle though, Susan, because, you know, as a graduate student, you start the journey and that is the expectation that is literally placed on you, right? That your work has to be groundbreaking, life-changing, the firecrackers are going to go off and the prime minister is going to knock at your door because it's just so amazing. Um, And I, I love some of that feedback that you give, you know, like, no, that's not what's going to happen. Um, and the imposter syndrome. So I want to touch on that a little bit. So how do we navigate, you know, for those that are considering graduate studies and saying, hey, I don't think I'm good enough because I don't think that I'm smart enough, right? Or I don't, I don't fit um, the criteria versus those that are in this journey and they're literally hit smacked head on with this imposter syndrome. How do we navigate around that? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I think, you know, there is a big role, as you were saying, for mentors. And I think mentors can be, um, whether it's formally through a mentorship partnering that is set up, or you just are lucky to find a mentor in your supervisor or in a, in a, through student services or something. I think that can be a really helpful tool um, for navigating the imposter syndrome. I'll tell you, if I ever figure out how to get over it, I'll let you know. It, it's something that can follow you well past graduate school and you know, into your whole career. Lisa, maybe you have some, you have some any ideas, to, Lisa? Well, I, I don't have the magic bullet, but I, I don't think the likelihood of getting through it um, is very good if you're intending to try to do it alone. For sure. Absolutely. I don't Absolutely. think I don't think it matters who um, who around you plays that role, but you you it's really important to have people around you who are going to to lift you up and encourage you and and be honest and objective, <laughs> um, but you know who who really will point out to you and make it clear to you that you know you are one of many people in this situation. The majority, the vast majority of students are feeling the very same thing. And we know this from other aspects of our lives where we feel insecure and not so confident and and fragile, Um, you know, and that's, as Susan said, that that speaks to the importance of community, whatever that looks like. Community is what grounds us. It's what keeps us reasonable, keeps our expectations in check and our perspective clear. So, you know, that that's 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 of utmost importance. The other, there's one other barrier that I thought of um, as you were talking, Susan, it was reminding me um, that the end of a PhD 
uh, is probably one of the most tumultuous times. Mm. And I think that students often expect that when they're done, it's going to just feel like a huge relief. But there's actually all kinds of anxiety and tensions that come at the end of it as well, because then there's the new beginning uh, right after. And that dreaded question, what are you going to do now? Um, So, you know, again, planning, talking to people. um, I think so many PhD students do feel like they're in this silo, that they're isolated, that they're doing this on their own, that they're not supposed to consult or, you know, or collaborate with people. But I don't know. I think that's a bit of BS, actually. I, I think we're human beings and whatever endeavors we pursue, we need our peeps around us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Go ahead, Susan. Do you wish to say something? No. So I, there's another question that perked my mind as I was listening to the responses. And that so work-life balance. Can we just talk talk on that for just a little bit. I think this is so critical. I think a lot of us had some eye-opening moments, especially, you know, uh, living through COVID and having to re-navigate life, work-life balance. And then now with things sort of coming back to normal, having to now change on a pivot again. Uh, What are some timbits or, or thoughts or what are some things that have presented in the community that, you know, might be worthwhile sharing for, you know, other, you know, individuals that have to manage this work-life balance piece? Well, I'll start with that as someone who, again, you know, struggles with that continuously. (laughs) I think um, health in whatever ways that manifests for you is really important. And I'm somebody who has struggled my whole life with uh, really hating gyms. I don't like to go work out. It's not a thing for That's me. okay. It's okay. And I have had so many memberships to so many gyms. <laughs> and then there's the shame and there's that like you have to actually find the things. And this is true, not just for students, but I think it's easy for students to get so overwhelmed in their work and um, not go for walks or not stand up and stretch or not do yoga or, you know, walk in the woods or whatever it is. I think being really conscious of trying to find those things that feed you that feed your energy and they're going to be different for everyone I have often been heard to say that everybody who starts graduate work should get a puppy because for me I did get a puppy right near the beginning of my PhD and that that focus on this other creature because my son was already um, grown-ish you know teenagery and didn't need all the mothering uh, he needed lots of parenting, but not kind of <laughs> I, I got you. I understand. I have a teenager. Yes, yes I get it. <laughs> um, puppies, they like the sort of the, the cuddly nurturing part. And I realized that that was something that fed me. Well, um, it fed my heart. It made me go for walks. It helped me to explore the community, right? It gave me sort of a structure and a, a motivation to get out and walk in different places and explore different paths and woods and different things. And so I think it's there isn't going to be a one size fits all thing for any grad student, of course, but I think finding the things that really feed you that are actually healthy, that aren't just coffee and beer and those may well be part of your graduate student experience and I don't um, I don't say that they aren't valuable in their own way but um, finding ways of just being uh, 
with your body, in your body, in your mental and physical health that can, that energize you to go on to the next step. Looking for those oh, things, yeah. That's awesome. So I won't confess how much coffee I've had today then <laughs> based on the, based on the sentiments. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh that's good go ahead Lisa oh yes well I couldn't agree with Susan more and I think that that a really important precursor to that is to be able to give yourself permission and and I think that's a huge uh a huge hurdle for a lot of the students we deal with anyway um where they feel that you know taking a 10 minute break is just not something they can do um, and I, I, I don't agree. I, I think you have to do that in order to maintain your sanity and your well-being and to be productive academically. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think giving yourself permission. Um, we try to get people to join our 10 minute stretching twice a day. And it's really like pulling teeth because students just don't feel that they can give up 10 minutes twice a day or even once a day uh, to get up and stretch. Um, and for, for us, I know Susan and I both do it quite regularly, um, and we both feel energized after. It's just amazing. So uh, we'll, we'll put a little plug in for that. Um, that's open to anyone. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say about, um, about the work-life balance is in, in the 20 years that I've been here, women, especially women who are parents, are the most creative, resourceful, resilient innovative people I've ever met. And if anyone can do it, they can, you know, it's, it's quite incredible. And, and people have, you know, as Susan said, their, their own ideas of what's going to work, their own resources, their own strengths and weaknesses. So it's going to be, it's going to be a, a custom, a tailor-made thing for each individual, but we have strengths that are untapped, all of us. And so we have to dig deep. Um, but if, if the, if the desire and the determination and the passion is really there, you can make it happen. Maybe we need to do a, a webinar on how to dig deep to find that gifting and passion. Just, yeah. just saying, I'm just saying, yeah, it's, idea. Often, it's often a painful dig. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. This has just been so amazing. So my final question, as we're about to start winding down, you've just given so much knowledge. And I think for those that are ready to start graduate studies, I think you've inspired them because they're like, oh, it's it's not as impossible as it looks. That outside in is, I think it's so critical. You know, when you're always giving advice as a student inside out, uh, sometimes it could be um, daunting, right? If you're thinking, oh, maybe this is not for me, but you gave a total different perspective and there's actually a light at this end of the tunnel. So my final question to you is, what are those Timbits words of wisdom that you wanna to give to that potential graduate student, the graduate student, and Lisa, let's not forget those that are graduating and you know saying their farewells. What are those Timbits and wisdoms that will carry them throughout this journey called life? Well, uh... My first one is not going to be too palatable, but it is it's okay. Uh, <laughs> it is to expect discomfort and the personal growth that results from it. So I, I'm, you know, as the older I get, the more I realize the truth in all of this. That it's it's the discomfort, it's the dissonance, um, it's the questioning uh, and and the uncertainty uh, that leads us to the goals and the growth that we're looking for. So I I. 
I think it's good <laughs> to expect that, that kind of discomfort um, when you're stretching yourself to this degree. Mm -hmm. um, don't compare, which I've already said uh, is another is another helpful hint, I think. And uh, as Susan said, finding community, you do not have to do this on your own, you know, um, to the exclusion of, of uh, being involved in community and, and friendships and networks. Wow. All right, Susan. I've got two things. One is the little post-it note I put up all around my house when I was writing my dissertation. The key to finishing the dissertation is to write the dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a shortcut. There isn't like a magic bullet. You just have to actually do it. And then a mentor of mine um, was known to often say, um, a good thesis is a finished thesis. Yeah. So um, trying to let go of our notions of, of perfection and external expectations of us and get to a place where it's good and definitely good enough and finished. And that's something that um, I think every grad student needs to kind of remind themselves of once in a while. A good thesis is a finished thesis. I love it. I love it. You know, as both of you are talking, I, I remember um, the, 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 there's a proverb that people tend to say, and I learned it in graduate studies, is about be comf get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that was something. And I never understood it until the journey started. And I'm like, I don't like this. I, this doesn't feel good. I feel like I'm standing at the edge of a cliff and you're pushing me off, but I don't have a parachute. This is not safe. But I, I petition now that it's in those moments that the greatest ideas are birthed and generate, generated. So thank you for reminding me of that because I, I did forget about that proverb that you know we, we would say. So thank you for this conversation. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, having more conversations like this in the future and adieu to both of you. And with that being said to our HRM community, if you are a researcher, an up and coming researcher, and you like to be interviewed or share your work with us on HRM, please feel free to email us at info at health research matters. And that's with an S.com. And that's info at health research matters.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And until then, bye for now and stay safe.